0: Ideas, inspiration, innovation.
1: This is The Game Changer.
0: And now here's your host, Chickie Fitzgerald. Good afternoon. It's Friday, April 25th, 2014. And we have a terrific show for you today. We have a, a return guest coming back to us is Lisa Earl McLeod. And we are going to be talking about her newest book, Selling with Noble Purpose, How to Drive Revenue and Do Work That Makes You Proud. And previously, we have had Lisa on the, the uh, show talking about her previous book, The Triangle of Truth, The Surprisingly Simple Secret say that three times fast, to resolving (laughs) conflicts large and small, which uh, was actually one of my favorite interviews, Lisa, and it came right at a time when I really needed it because I was right in the middle of resolving conflicts. So anyway, Lisa, why don't I let you do just a quick introduction of yourself? I prefer uh, doing that to reading your bio. Uh, Lisa, welcome. Well, it's delightful to be here with you again. Uh, So in
1: terms of how I would introduce myself, um, one of the things that I might tell you is that when I was a little kid, you know how everyone asks you, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I never had a very good answer. And I grew up outside Washington, D.C., and I grew up in a home. My mother was a scientist. Uh, she was very educated. My father was educated. He was a banker. And, and one of the things I ever saw appealed to me. And one day, I'm sitting at home watching public access television, and I saw this holy roller preacher at this African-American church. And I'm a scale white kid in Arlington, Virginia. We didn't even go to church. I'd never seen anything like this in my life. He's standing up at the pulpit. He's getting people out of their chairs. They're excited. They're alive. And I called my mother and I said, I think I know what I want to be when I grow up now. (laughs) (laughs) And she said, "Uh, well, you're going to have to find a church. And that's when the dream died. So I became a sales consultant instead, and now I've written this book called Selling with Noble Purpose, and I'm back to my true roots, getting people out of their chairs and excited about something.
0: (laughs) Oh, that's amazing. And, you know, it is so funny because you and I didn't have a chance to talk before this interview, so um, I haven't had a chance even to let you know what I'm up to. But since we talked last, I have shifted my focus entirely from uh, I had been I've had a consulting firm for actually for 18 years now, but discovered uh that I had this entrepreneur inside that was just screaming to get out. And 7 years ago I had a spectacular failure in building my first technology company. And then I formed a company uh 2 years ago that is all about um giving back. And and so we're still doing travel technology, but now we give back ten percent of our revenues to the charity of choice of our customer. So I am so excited about talking to you about this book because you you would have had no idea that that's what I was doing. No, so I am I, I am about to drive major amounts of revenue, selling with a noble purpose and doing work that makes me proud, changing the world oh, one nice. trip at a time. So <laughs> well.
1: You know, it is interesting because I have a number of clients in the travel space. and so, Oh, you, you know, do? Less, yeah, less the audience think that uh, I just go around, you know, standing on a street corner preaching at salespeople, I actually have a business. And, yeah, I've got a lot of clients in the travel space. I mean, I've got some pretty high-profile clients like Pfizer and Google and people like that, but I also have some clients in the travel space, including a company called G Adventures, which is like the largest adventure travel company in the world, uh, wow! I've got Flight Center, which is the largest travel agency in the world, and it's because these companies recognize that giving people this experience of a trip is, in fact, a noble purpose. It is life-changing when someone
0: experiences the right kind of trip. Right. Well, let's talk about what shifted your focus, and, and maybe you've had this all along, Um because you have been a sales consultant, so where did the noble purpose piece first emerge? And and so, then, yeah, obviously it's logical then to write about it, because you, that's the best way to get the news out. So I'll tell you what
1: happened, and you hit on it. it. It's actually both of the things you said. One, I had it all along. Yet, I hadn't articulated it. And what, I had an experience about six years ago that as a sales consultant that was transformative to me. So I was working with this biotech company, and the biotech company had hired my firm to go out and do an assessment of their sales team. But this wasn't just any assessment. We had something very specific in mind. What we were looking for is we were looking to discern the difference between the top performers and the merely good performers. And anyone who's been in sales knows that you can tell the difference between a good performer and a poor performer. And there's a lot of really easy-to-spot, easy-to-measure things. Do they know the product? Do they make the right number of calls? Do they know how to ask questions? There's a lot of behaviors that we know correlate with good performance. The challenge is what constitutes outstanding performance. And in sales... You know what it is because it shows up in the numbers, but it's harder to pinpoint the behavior. And so that's what we were challenged with, find the behavior. And so we were out in the field with their sales team, working with lots of different reps, watching them, observing them. And because this was a biotech company, they were really into science, this was a double-blind study. We did not know who the top performers were and who the good performers were. We knew we weren't with any poor performers. So near the end of the study, I've worked in the field with all these reps. Near the end of the study, I'm in Phoenix, Arizona. I've worked with this one particular salesperson, and she's excellent. She is really excellent. I can just tell. I've worked with hundreds of salespeople and coached a lot of them. She's excellent. And so I asked this question. We're at the end of our two-day work with. I'm in the car. I'm about to get out of the car. I'm at the airport. And I asked this question. I hadn't asked anybody else. I said, what do you think about when you go on sales call. And I will never forget her answer. She said, you know what? I always think about this one particular patient. She said, I don't tell so many people, but when I was early in my territory, just starting out in this job, I was standing on my doctor's offices, this patient came up to me, little old lady, grandmother looking tight, taps me on the shoulder, looks up at me and says to me, excuse me, miss, are you the rep for this particular drug? So I looked at her and said, Yes, ma'am. And the little lady said, Well, I just want to thank you. I want to thank you for giving me my life back. Because prior to taking this, I couldn't go anywhere, I couldn't do anything. But since my doctor prescribed this for me, I can get on a plane, I can go visit my grandkids,
0: wow. I can get down the floor
1: and play with them. Is that not amazing? Mm-hmm that is so amazing. She telling me this. Yeah, so she's telling me this. And I thought, Oh my gosh And she said, you know what? That is my purpose. That is why I do this job. So four thirty on a rainy Friday afternoon the other reps come home. Not me. That is my purpose. So I get on the plane, head back to Atlanta. She gave me a lot to think about. And I'm finding myself wondering, is this is this the thing, this magical thing This intangible thing that we've all been looking for that actually drives top performance. Have we finally found this holy grail? Mm. So I go back through all the other interviews, looking for it. First, I didn't see it. Then I dug a little deeper, and it was there. It was there in the rep that said, my dad was a doctor. Doctors have a harder job than anybody dreamed how to make the doctor's life better. There, and the representative who said, the science of this is fascinating. I just love sharing the science. So I found five representatives who all had alluded to this sense of purpose. At the end of the study, the biotech company said, you tell us who you think the top performers are. I said, I think it's these five. And I was 100% right.
0: Wow. (laughs) (laughs) And that
1: one, yeah, that one rep who talked about the grandmother who said, that's my purpose.
0: She's the right. number one
1: representative in the country three years in a row. That's amazing.
0: Mm-hmm. So, so that was, you involved. know, you you've now, now defined it way. for us, right? And and so and and why noble sales purpose matters is because it does move the needle. Which you know, if you're gonna be a salesperson who's employed, you know, you can't go very long if you don't move the needle. Um, but profit isn't a purpose in and of itself nice. and, and corporate America in many uh cases has made it about profit. But but it's not the purpose, right?
1: Well there's a very famous quote from Peter Drucker who says profit is not the purpose of a business, it's the test of its validity. And so here's what happens. So some people oh, corporate I love America, that. Take, take that in. Profit is not the purpose of a business, it is the test of its validity. So here's what's happened. Profits are scorecards. But what's happened in corporate America, there are probably some people listening to this call going, but it's all about the profit, but it's all about the profit. The data is clear. The data could not be more clear. You know, after I did, after I had this experience, I didn't stop there. I went out and spent 10,000 hours and spent six years studying sales teams.
0: Wow. Sales
1: people who have this sense of noble purpose, who wake up determined to improve their customers' lives, outperform. They outsell. The salespeople focused on quotas and targets. Furthermore, that's one proof point. It's my work. My colleague uh, from Procter & Gamble, uh, I used to work at P&G, a guy named Jim Stengel who was a CMO of Procter & Gamble, he studied this on an organizational level. And from an organizational standpoint, companies that have a sense of purpose who bring it into the very nexus of their business and make it the, the driving force of their business, companies... Who have a purpose outperform the market four to one. Wow. The, the data is ab- and he tracked the S and P over a ten year period. The data is absolutely clear. But here's what happened. Everybody knows they make want to make money, but what happens is if that becomes the overriding narrative of your business, you will find yourself commoditized. Because when you start out thinking that the main purpose of this is to make money, you start thinking of the customers as the thing that produces money for you instead of you being the person who produces value for them. And it's you right. your customers. Yeah, and that is a big problem. When executives talk about we've got to make the quarterly earnings, we've got to make the quarterly earnings, we've got to make the number, what happens is they have created a non-differentiated narrative that doesn't prepare their people to do anything. The internal conversation becomes the external conversation. So if the internal conversation is all about quotas and targets, guess what? You're going to find yourself in a spot where you're commoditized because you haven't provided any compelling information that your salespeople can share with customers.
0: Right. Right. So so what is the question that the sales manager asks that changes everything? So there is a game-changing question. So if you think
1: about when a sales manager is talking to a salesperson, about an opportunity. The typical questions that a manager asks, which are good questions, are questions like these. When are you going to close it? Who's the competition? What's the total size of the deal? Are you talking to the decision makers? Those are the typical sales manager questions, and they are good questions because you need to know that. Having said that, those questions alone will not, Create a mindset that improves the salesperson's ability to close that deal. Here's the question that will How will this customer be different as a result of doing business with us? If the sales manager asks their salesperson that question, they come to you, hey boss, got this great deal, doesn't matter who it is, doesn't matter what you're selling. The sales manager asks that one question How will this customer be different as a result of doing business with us? that salesperson will immediately shift. They are forced to shift in their brain. I'm pausing now, and I'm pointing to the front of my brain because that is where it sits. They will (laughs) shift from thinking about themselves to thinking about the customer, and that is the brain shift that we know constitutes a top performer. Like in that moment, when you shift your salesperson to start thinking like that, you literally shift them from thinking like an average performer to thinking like a top performer. Because if they can't answer that question for you, how will this customer be different? How the hell are they going to answer it in front of the customer?
0: Oh, absolutely. Hey, Lisa, can I get you to adjust Are you wearing a headset? I am. Is it not good? Can I get you to just adjust it to um, you are fading a little bit in and out, and you're saying such amazing stuff, I don't want to miss <laughs> a word. And I keep thinking well, I need to adjust my headset. Um, so
1: maybe it's me. Is that better?
0: Uh, just keep on talking and we'll see. So and we'll
1: uh, see. Y'all. Yeah. yeah, so,
0: okay, we know that this has value. And I didn't realize how big a value it had. And I, I am really uh, flabbergasted. Um, so for those companies or those individuals who are selling their own service perhaps, Uh, or selling a product, how do they create their own noble sales purpose? Can you you become noble when you haven't been noble in the past?
1: Yes. If what you sell improves life for your customer. Now, if you sell some god-awful thing that makes people's lives worse, I can't help you with that. But if what you sell improves life for your customers, you have a noble sales purpose. You just haven't been able to articulate it yet. So, First, I'm going to give you an example. So if you're thinking, well, gee, I don't sell these life-changing trips. I don't sell pharmaceuticals. <laughs> care." Okay, one of my clients is a company that makes air dryers. It takes the moisture out of the brakes on trains. And the people who sell this are a bunch of engineers. Now, what is their noble sales purpose? Well, guess what? If moisture gets in the brakes on a train, it freezes.
0: Right. It can be dangerous.
1: Be dangerous, yep. Or at the very least, the trains don't go and it gets stuck and people are late. So their noble sales purpose is we make transportation safer, faster, and more reliable. And they live and breathe that. They live and breathe, these engineers, to make trains and buses and heavy vehicles and trash trucks safer, faster, and more reliable. That is their whole purpose. Now How do you create a statement like that? A noble purpose speaks to three things. It speaks to how do you make a difference to your customers, how are you different than your competition, and on your best day, what do you love about your job? Mm. And there's a paper on our website. If you download on the – there's a place on the top right – of our website. If you just do noble Fails purpose, our, our website will come up and there's a spot where it's a free white paper. You download it and it tells you exactly how to create your own noble purpose. So there are like no excuses now. I'm giving
0: it to you absolutely free. <laughs> Great. I'm just actually uh, posting that because I mm-hmm. think people will want to see that. So I want to move on to, you know, now we've identified it. So now we've got to figure out how to live by it. And I'm, I'm really intrigued by the very first chapter in the second part of your book, which focuses on how to live by your noble sales purpose. Because I just got interviewed yesterday, uh, actually on a video interview, which I, I really hated the way I look. So I, I've got to get over that fear of being seen on video. <laughs> but, but the interview was about f- being fearless as an entrepreneur. And, you know, she started out asking me all these questions about being paralyzed by fear. And that is like the most foreign thing in the world to me because fear has never been a part of my life, right? Which is what makes me fearless. But I know a lot of people don't have that gift of, uh, and mine is the gift of faith that makes me never be afraid, right? But for people who do get gripped by fear, it can flatline sales, Right. So so what do they do about it?
1: Okay, so here's the thing. So I'll tell you about fear and sales. Uh, Anyone who's listening to this call who is a leader, I will tell you the number one job of a leader is to take fear off the table. Because when people are afraid, they are not their best self. They do not operate from a place of high capacity or authenticity because when you are afraid, you are thinking about one thing. How is this going to affect me? What's going to happen to me? That is not an environment for making good sales calls. And a lot of companies try to make their salespeople afraid that they're going to lose their jobs, afraid if you don't close this deal, it's all over. And what fear will do is fear will ignite a level of activity in people but it, what it will not do is it will not improve their skill. So if you've got a salesperson who's just sitting around in his job until 11 o'clock in the morning and all of a sudden you threaten him with losing his job, fear will many cases, in many cases prompt him or her to go out and start making sales calls. But what fear won't do is fear won't enable them to better connect with their customers. right. So, so, I mean, that, that's a one really important thing to remember. So people who are afraid. So I was with a client today, and they are in the healthcare space, and they want to go forth with this noble purpose. They're very excited about it. They are calling on a lot of people who buy health insurance uh, in big companies. They're calling on brokers who sell health insurance, where the prevailing narrative has been around money. And they have, they believe, and I believe, having worked with them for a while, that they have a better care model. And so their fear is around if we start talking about how our hearts are committed to improving the health of our clients, people are going to think we're weird because all (laughs) anybody in this business talks about is how much it costs, (laughs) right? And so there's a very real fear that if they start talking about these things and they start talking about noble purpose and they start talking about making a difference, that people are going to turn around and go, what the hell are you talking about? We're in it for making money. And so what I said to them is, just be honest. Be be completely transparent and say, you know, up until now I was really focused on making money and I realized that I want to make a difference too. So I'm going to start talking about this thing called noble purpose and – i got to tell you, I'm a little bit uncomfortable with it. I'm not sure I'm going to be good at it, but I really want to make a difference in my job, and I want to improve people's lives with what I sell. So I'm going to start talking to you. Hmm.
0: So I, I have an, what I think is a pretty obvious question, and it happens to also be one of the titles of your chapters in this section. It's how do you keep your noble sales purpose from being a mere tagline? Oh, that is a great
1: question. But I guess actually I'm complimenting myself because I wrote it. In yes, a you are.
0: <laughs> oh, okay. But you know, you know what? I would have asked it anyway, but it does happen to be a chapter. <laughs> and,
1: and you know what? I think somebody asked it of me, and I went, "Well, i was writing the book," and I went, "That is a great chapter title." Uh, so I probably didn't come up with it. So here's what happens. Here's the danger. Is my Let's go back to my company that I had. We make transportation safer, faster, more reliable. So here's what could happen. Let's put that on our signature line. Let's put that on our presentation. Let's put that on our website. All those things are great. But what happens is compare and contrast two sales calls. In one sales call, the people show up and say, you know what's great about us? We make transportation safer, faster, more reliable. Now let's tell you about how we do it. Feature, benefit, feature, benefit, feature, benefit, more about us, more about us, more about us.
0: Right, right. That might
1: be an okay sales call, especially when compared to the competition. But if you're really going to live your noble purpose, and that's what it's designed to do, it often winds up being part of your marketing message, but marketing messages come and go. The noble purpose is about your behavior and the behavior of your team. And so where it really becomes powerful is that same company, and they do this, so that's why I'm using them publicly. They come in, and instead of saying, we want to make your transportation safer, faster, more reliable, they figure out how to do that. And so what that means is if I'm the manager and I'm coaching one of those guys before he goes in the call, I need to say, you have to find out what their safety record is now. You have to find out what their efficiency goals are. You have to find out what their speed goals are. You have to find out where they've had problems. You have to find out where they have opportunities. You have to figure out how getting it safer, faster, more reliable would affect them. What would happen? What would happen to their customers? So if I'm committed to living my noble purpose, then behaviorally I have to figure out how to make it come alive for each and every individual client. I can't just go in there and say, hey, safer, faster, more reliable, buy us, because then I'm just like everybody else.
0: Right, right.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, nobody that, goes up there and says, hey, buy us, because we're, you know, <laughs> less safe, we're unsafe, we're slower, and we're absolutely unreliable. Buy
0: us. <laughs> <laughs> that is so true. That is so true. Well, there's another chapter here in this second section that uh, has me really intrigued, Um because I frequently use white papers or or case studies, um, and you actually call those a Trojan horse, using case studies to grab new markets. And how is a case study noble, or how do you communicate your noble sales purpose in a case study, I guess is the right question. Right.
1: So in that chapter, I talk about a couple things. And the first thing is, how to write a decent case study. Most people write terrible case studies. Their case studies describe how wonderful they are. That is not an interesting case study. An interesting case study is here was the customer's problem,
0: challenge,
1: current state. They were here at this spot. Then we did this, and then this, this different, better space is where they end up. And it has great specificity because what most people do in a case study is they provide specifics about their solution. That is not interesting. What is more interesting is specifics about the customer. So, for example, I could sit here and tell you, when I first started working with that company uh, that, does, that makes the air dryers, uh, We met with the senior leadership team. Then we got everybody on board with the purpose. Then we got the engineers involved. And I could take you through the whole process. And that would not be very interesting. Or I could tell you, these people were in a spot where they were trying to get a multi-million dollar piece of business at GE. And one day, they got the great news. You got the business. But... It was at such a reduced margin that they realized they were going to have to walk away from millions of dollars worth of business because they would actually have lost money on it if they did it for the price because they realized they had not differentiated themselves, that they had not made a compelling case. They were being commoditized. That was the problem we needed to solve. Now, that's a heck of a lot more interesting than me describing to you all these meetings we did and these flip charts and all this other stuff because you don't (laughs) care about the methodology. You care about what happened to this customer. So that's point number one, is how you write the case study. Then point number two is what you do with it. Now, what usually happens with case studies is people write them as a marketing piece. What I suggest is, and we've got a a thing in the book, a template for uh, case studies, and we've got a thing on our website where you can download this really simple template for case studies. What I suggest is that you use case studies internally. For a couple reasons. First, you use them with your sales team. And you do it every single week. And everybody has to present one where they say, here's the customer's challenge. Here's what we did. Here's their new improved state. So that people get used to seeing this is what we do for customers. This is the effect we have on customers. And I'm telling you, just listening to someone else in your team describe that, you get ideas. You know what? I never not called anybody in the automotive industry. I call on them. The other thing is you share the case studies You don't have to share them as frequently, but on a regular basis with everybody in the company because you have salespeople and you have service people and you have delivery people that are connected to the customer. But oftentimes, a lot of people's jobs are kind of removed from the customer. And so you want them to see, look, guys, we don't just sell widgets here. We sell widgets that make people
0: happy. (laughs) That's great. That's great. I love it. So let's let's move on a little bit because the next section uh, we've got a lot of folks on uh, with the executive girlfriends group who are actually responsible for managing uh, sales teams, and you know they have invariably done you know sales training and you know whatever the hottest new thing is in sales training. So oh, yeah. part three of your book is the manager's blueprint for creating a noble sales purpose inspired team of true believers right so where does that start okay so first of
1: all i have to define what a true believer is and it's what you think it is but i got this story from this friend of mine in politics that really brought home to me what a true believer really is and i was talking to her one day and she's in politics she's run a couple of big national campaigns and, you know, it's easy to get jaded in these circumstances. And she said something to me I'll never forget. She said, you know, in every office, there's always a TB. I said, what the heck is a TB? She said, well, it's a true believer. She said, a true believer is that starry-eyed optimist who still believes they can make a difference. She <laughs> said, but here's the thing. Yeah. She said, here's the thing all the jaded staffers don't tell you. Everyone is secretly jealous of the true believer. And so what I've come to realize is, particularly salespeople, there's a true believer inside of them just waiting to come out. Because as much as they may want to make money, they also want to make a difference. So your job as a manager is to ignite that part of them. Because every human being alive has two fundamental needs. Once we get beyond food and shelter and the basics, we want connection and we want meaning. We want to know that we make a difference. And so a lot of people have settled for keeping score by money, but they actually want something more. Don't get me wrong, money matters. Money's important. You gotta make the P and L, you gotta have a nice place to live, it's nice to have a nice car, all those things are really nice. But what people are yearning for, what people are desperate for, is this feeling of belonging and significance, this connection, this making a difference. They want to know they have that. And so as a manager, when you tap into that, you tap into this very personal powerful inner drive. You know, there's a lot of things that you can do as a manager on a daily basis. One of them is tell the stories. Tell the story about how you made a difference to customers. Tell it on a regular basis. Bring it forth with your people when you notice one of them doing it. Say that. Mm. Ask the magic coaching question. How will this customer be different? And now here's the thing. You mentioned sales training, I'm a master trainer in a bunch of different sales training programs, and it's an industry that I follow. I used to be part of it in a really big way. And there's always the latest program. I can name them all. They all have their own little acronym. SPIN, COS, PSS, Solution Selling, The Challenger <laughs> Selling, blah, 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 Blah. SPIN Selling. Oh, we got SPIN. You know, we got them all. The majority of those programs are actually quite good. And I'm sure some are coming. But the majority of those programs are good and a lot of the people who instruct them are excellent. Here's the issue. When you look at those sales models and you look at things like need payoff questions, implication questions, high value questions, everybody's got a different report. for The thing, the reason that so many times people go through those programs, they love the program, they say they're going to do it, they get out in the field and they don't do it. And the reason why is because those models, as good as they are, if you put them in the service of simply closing the deal, they fail. But if you take any one of those models and you put it in the service of a noble purpose, a very specific and very clear noble purpose, those models will work. And see, that's the dirty little secret about sales training. Mm. Is it 90% of it? It's not bad. It just doesn't stick. And the reason it doesn't stick is because it's all focused on the process. And the, right. process, the process will take a poor performer and turn them into a pretty good performer. But it will never. the process will never make a great performer. It's like we know the successful families, where the people are happy, where the people are connected to each other, we know that they have dinner on a regular basis. But if I were to come to you and say, you need to have dinner with your family every night, that process alone will not make you successful or happy. Right. The absence of it may make you disconnected and unhappy, just like the absence of a good sales process will make you ineffective, but that process alone will not make you an effective parent, will not make your children more successful, more engaged, happier. That won't happen until you have a mental shift and you decide we're going to have dinner as a family every night and our purpose is to fully engage with each other. Our purpose is to be connected and to share things and talk about interesting ideas. And that way the act of the process of the dinner every night is now in the service of something bigger that matters
0: can you That's write like a, a book about that it? can you write yeah. a book about that for husbands please yeah <laughs> I tell you what, I mean, that that is my dream to have that kind of a family dinner because, you know, uh, the conclusion of this book and, and, and the concluding chapter is how to use purpose to make the rest of your life more meaningful. And, I mean, you've just given an example of something as simple as eating as a family and that, uh, you know, those who do it have better results and better performance. And I'm betting they have better results about every aspect of their life. Uh, and it can yeah. sabotage. You know, if you spend that time, you happen to all be at the table at the same time, but you're picking at your kids, you know, you're not eating enough, you're eating too much, you're, you know, you're you're not having manners, yeah, it's not you know, whatever. It, right. It, it, it totally destroys it. So I want to just um, touch on, on and there's so many of these. I mean, I wish we could have gone through all 22, but, you know, there just isn't enough time on our show to do that. But let's talk about this last piece, though, how to use purpose to make the rest of your life more meaningful.
1: Well, one thing I want to say about that is there's a very – I'm sure there's more than one thing I want to say. The first thing I want to say. <laughs> to there's an expression that we hear all often, which is, Nobody ever lay on their deathbed wishing they spent more time at the office. Yes. And what I will tell you is that's actually not true. In a study of people who were dying, who had cancer, so they literally were on their deathbed, when they talked about what mattered to them, there were two things. It was their family, the people they love, family, friends, whatever constitutes to family to that person, the people that they really loved. But the second thing they talked about was doing work that mattered, doing hmm. meaningful work. And so, you know, the first thing I would say about this bringing purpose into the rest of your life is we have this idea that somehow purpose and meaning and love and belonging and connection have an outside work. They need to have an at work. You deserve to have purpose and meaning in the job that you do. Because here's the other thing, and you know, we talk about work-life balance as if they're these two separate things, and we compartmentalize them up and all that. And I understand you can't work 24 hours a day. You need to be intentional with your time and how you're living <laughs> your life. And that looks different for everybody. But what I do know is this: it doesn't matter whether you work five hours a week, or you work 55 hours a week, or even more. When you have work that matters, you're alive in the whole rest of your life. Right. There is no way in the world that you can go to a job where you check the box all day or worse, a job you hate, and come home and be fully alive at home because you cannot right. separate yourself that way. So the first thing is, if you want to have more purpose and meaning in your life, do it at work. Find it at work. And that doesn't mean right. you have to quit your job and go feed the poor. Besides, you're going to be the most enthusiastic, well-connected receptionist there is, and you're going to make everybody's day better, whatever your job may be. You know, if you're a leader, oh, my God. You know, when I first became a leader, my father said to me, congratulations, you've just become the second most important person in your employee's life. And I was like, what are you talking about? And he said, next year's <laughs> spouse, your boss <laughs> has a chance. Yeah, next year's spouse, your boss has a chance to make your life wonderful. And your life like, hell. I'm like, I'm 25 years old. I can't handle this. So <laughs> that's it. First of all, that's it at work. Now, if you want to find purpose in the rest of your life, there are two things to focus on. One, be fully present in the moment you're in. If you're going to be home, be home. If you're going right. to be with your spouse, be with your spouse. And I can tell you, I don't bat a thousand on this, 500 at best, but it's a hell of a lot better than I used to do. So be fully present. That's one. Number two, focus not on how you want the circumstances to look because, uh, ladies, every moment is not a scrapbook-worthy moment. Focus instead on how you want it to feel and how you want them to feel in that moment. What feeling do you want to emit in that moment? What feeling do you want to evoke from them? How are you going to emotionally bring a greater sense of purpose and connection into that?
0: If you do that, you'll start to feel it. Well, I'll tell you what. I have not had a chance... To read the entire book yet? But this weekend, I'm going to lock myself in a room where nobody <laughs> can find me, and I am going to read this because I I am heading into perhaps the most important sales meeting of my life on Tuesday, and Monday night I'm having dinner with all the senior executives, and I I really have got to shift my focus, and even though I have been doing some noble things in my business. I still, I, I I was never intentional about being in sales at all. I, I've i had to sell because I've had a consulting firm for 18 years and, you know, you have to sell your services. Um, but I wasn't properly trained by anybody. And I'm telling you, Lisa, I have interviewed over 450 people on both this show and, and my other solutions live show. I have interviewed many about sales and I have never been as jazzed as I am right now, to know that I'm holding in my hands the keys to the kingdom, and I will let you know when I get back from uh, from Chicago how it goes, because I'm telling you, I believe that this is going to really make a material difference in my life personally, which is why I keep doing this show, by the way. My husband keeps saying, why do you keep having that call every Friday? You know, nobody's showing up on the call, and... And I said, you know what? I I do it for me. Uh, you know, I mean, clearly there are a lot of people who listen to it also on our podcasts and on on iTunes and and on uh, Blog Talk Radio. But but really, uh, today has been so meaningful and so perfectly timed, Lisa. I just want to thank you for your time. We went a lot longer than we talked about, but obviously you must have had the time, or you would have said, "Hey, got to bug out." <laughs> hey, I was
1: fully present every moment.
0: Well, great. Well, Lisa, I'm going to go ahead and uh, and stop the recorded portion of this. We do have someone on on the call from the Executive Girlfriends Group, and I would like to give her a chance uh, to be able to talk to you uh, and ask questions privately. But we always like to do that with our members uh, off off the air. So, great. for those of you who are listening to this call, again, you have been listening. And did I pronounce your last name right, McLeod? Yeah mccloud okay great i you know i i said it and then i thought oh you know i should have asked her uh we have been listening to lisa earl mccloud and the book is selling with noble purpose how to drive revenue and do work that makes you proud lisa thank you again if you want to learn more about the executive girlfriends group it's pretty simple executivegirlfriendsgroup.com and also we have a public facebook group and then also a private facebook group for our members Thanks again for listening, and we will see you next week. You've
1: been listening to The Game Changer. Ideas. Inspiration. Innovation. With Chickie Fitzgerald.